Welcome back to Creative Covenants, Marketing for Cybersecurity. In this episode, which we have split into two parts, um, we wanted to focus on this idea of the hard sell, um, because a tendency that we have seen a lot is to is for many marketeers and salespeople to go straight in for my product or service is amazing. Um, and even though it is, it's really important that you lay the groundwork for that moment. So uh, in terms of brand, in terms of credibility, in terms of trust. So we wanted to sort of wind it back a bit to to those elements of how do you build the credibility and the trust uh, before you go into your your the amazingness of your product and service. So in part one, uh, we're going to talk sort of generally about research-led marketing. If you're new to it, we'll talk about uh, sort of the best and the worst of, of what's out there and also talk about some of the resources for how you might get your head around the research space because it is quite big. Uh, and in part two, we're going to talk specifically about the importance of research-led marketing for a company, for its sales cycle, for its marketing cycle, um, how it helps you distinguish yourself in a saturated marketplace, um, and give some practical advice about how to identify where you should focus and prioritize your research, especially if you don't have a massive budget. So we are thrilled to welcome uh, two incredibly knowledgeable people. We have Peter Cohen, the MD of Holistic Cyber UK, and Matt Lewis, who is Research Director for the NCC Group. So we want to start by talking about the best and worst of cyber marketing that you've seen in your respective careers. Um, It's quite a difficult question in that you have to call out what you think is bad but we thought we'd try anyway. So Peter, what have you, What do you think is the best, what's the best cybersecurity marketing you've seen? Uh, that's a good question, Gail. I reckon uh, the best, well, there's a few to choose from, but um, APT1 uh, from Mandiant, uh, back in the day, it's about seven years old, eight years old now. Um, phenomenal piece of research that unmasked uh, Chinese nation state threat actor activity against Western targets. Uh, the level of forensic detail from a defensive perspective they uncovered was unparalleled and really it served um, to launch an entire industry. Um, you know, it is still the benchmark by which uh, research threat intelligence um, papers uh, are, are judged by. Um, so yeah, that was a phenomenal piece of work. Um, I reckon the the Verizon data breach report that comes out every year is probably uh, a close second. Excellent. And uh, Matt, what about you? What do you think is the sort of like the best cybersecurity marketing that you have seen? Yeah, so something that sticks out for me from about 2014 was the the Heartbleed vulnerability um, because um, for that, they set up a whole campaign around raising awareness about it. There was a dedicated website. There was, I guess, questionably a, a sort of a logo which started a whole trend around celebrity vulnerabilities, which you know subsequently tried to copycat and have their own sexy logo to go alongside the vulnerabilities. But that aside, the the Heartbeat one was a very factual website about what the impact was. Um, it wasn't uh, heavy on any sort of marketing or trying to do a hard sell. It was very sort of factual, demonstrating the, I guess, the technical uh, prowess of uh, having found the vulnerability, 
uh, a lot of useful information for anyone going to the website, whether they be journalists or clients wanting to understand how they fix and remediate. Uh, it was just a very good example of a um, sort of a mature approach to a very critical, wide impacting vulnerability. Excellent. And uh, Peter, are you happy to call out the worst or worst cyber marketing you've seen? Uh, I'm not happy to because it pains me every time I see it. But certainly like the worst examples are where there's been a breach and it's been well publicized. It's all over the media. And before anyone really knows anything about it, you've got various companies crawling out the woodwork saying, oh, if only they bought my product, they'd have stopped this breach. Or this just goes to show that, you know, they made bad investment decisions and should have bought what we do. Uh, like it, it's like clockwork every single time uh, there's a there's a breach, you know, it, it triggers this deluge of, oh, they should have bought what we do. And, you know, it's just it's just not on. It's not acceptable. Um, you know, behind that breach is a security team that is working flat out, probably under-resourced, you know, probably overworked, want to do the right thing, um, you know, can't do everything. Um, and, you know, I think it's disrespectful to, uh, you know, to, to, to people that actually uh, work in the industry to, to take that approach from a, a marketer's perspective. Excellent. And what about you, Matt? Happy to call yes. it out? Yeah, well, sure. It, it's on the same theme as the Heartbleed thing in that what happened after that was we saw a couple of years worth of subsequent vulnerabilities being disclosed and people um, creating these funky logos and sexy names for the vulnerabilities as sort of identifiers. But that quickly got diluted over time. And I think in about 2016, there was one uh, called Badlock, which came out with its old logo. So logo, but as, as sort of people unpicked it, it became clear that it wasn't actually really much of a vulnerability or affected very few uh, systems and only in certain ways. And it sort of backfired massively, I guess, on the organization who'd spent probably more time creating a logo for the vulnerability than checking through the quality of the, the research and the impact. And also uh, similar to what Peter just mentioned, it sort of wasted a lot of people's time by getting them unnecessarily anxious about uh, a presumed critical vulnerability, which turned out to be a bit of a, a damp squib. So that was a, that's quite a, a memorable one from my experience. So as a natural follow on from that, are there any words that you were absolutely just sick to death of hearing? Um, when you see these kind of bad pieces of marketing being put out or just in general, like what, if there was a word that you could just burn with fire and never hear it again, which one would it be? Matt, you go first this time. Mm. It's Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a, a word that I would burn. It's more around the misuse of the words. Like the, 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 top, the top one is AI and machine learning at the moment. You know, the, those technologies are very good in certain applications it's you know they they exist for for certain reasons and uh, are great inventions but when you see absolutely everything is now ai driven or machine learning driven and you sort of scratch away at the surface and actually it's not doing anything intelligent whatsoever that that's a bit of a gripe of mine at the moment so not so much the term itself but the misuse of the term oh that's a really interesting point 
Yeah, I think misusing terms is something that we're going to explore in a bit more depth later, but such an interesting area to, to get into um, and such a pitfall for marketers. What about you, Peter? You have a similar mind or do you have a word that you would just excoriate from the face of the earth? Look, I think, you know, there's, for me, there is there's several candidates for this. It's for the, you know, there's a uh, single pane of glass, neural networks, AI and ML, as, as Matt's alluded to. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be next gen for me. It, it's just an appalling turn of phrase. Like, what does that even mean? We're talking about next gen, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. What are we now? Next, next gen? Like, is next gen old gen? What's the new gen? You know, it, it's all completely irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't serve to describe um, the functions or, or benefits or features of, of, uh, of a product or a service. But let's just drop it. it, it it's, it's not relevant. Excellent. And uh, and talking about the worst cyber marketing, you sort of, Peter, you mentioned, you know, people that leap onto uh, a, a breach and kind of try to exploit that. Um, what has been like the most heinous, like lie you've seen? If there's, a, if, if, maybe not even a lie, but like the most ridiculous statement or the most like, uh, I don't know, tone deaf plug that you've, you've heard in your time. Uh, okay, that's actually quite an easy one. Um, I still see people making this mistake now and again, but um, the, the original and best was a threat intelligence company. Um, I, I won't name them. Uh, if you if you uh, remember the incident, you'll know you'll know who they are and what happened. Um, but essentially, they scoured um, what they called the dark net. I doubt it really was. Um, just uh, scoured the internet for email addresses um, of uh, or of people that worked within law firms. Um, and they collated all those together and then released this big report uh, alongside a, an industry event for, for the legal sector, security in the legal sector, to say that um, something like, you know, 80% of the top 50 firms in the UK had been breached and they had proof. Uh, and their only proof was the fact that someone's email address had been published on a, on a forum or such. Like there was no evidence of compromise whatsoever. Um, and what that triggered was this cascade of clients of these law firms like threatening to uh you know terminate their contracts asking for a full investigation um you know as a, as a security company at the time we were like inundated with uh law firms asking us to perform like completely meaningless work just because of this this uh you know inappropriately released report um so that one stands out for me you know it's a really good example of uh fud marketing um and you know, it just had absolutely no substance behind it whatsoever. And um, yeah, it sticks in the memory for all the wrong reasons. And what about you, Matt? Uh, sort of a, a claim that you think was just completely inappropriate, wrong, lie, yeah, anything in that category? I, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking because we're, we're, we're up to, I think, almost to the day, the, uh, the second anniversary of GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. And I remember going to the InfoSec conference a couple of years ago where everything was about sort of GDPR and all these solutions that would help you become, quote, GDPR compliant. Uh, and that really got my goat a bit because there's not really such thing as being GDPR compliant. You know, you can do your best towards the standards and the guidance, but you can't really 
prove that you are there. It's more, you know, it's more about doing the best you can in a sensible way. But the number of organizations that had either services or products that were clearly saying we will help you or we will make you GDP compliant, that 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 sticks out a lot. And of course, we're now two years away and pretty much uh, none of those companies or solutions really well I, they may exist but you you struggle to find them if you search for them online even these days how interesting you both mentioned terms that were really everywhere for a while so gdpr definitely two years ago you couldn't turn anywhere at a security conference without seeing GDPR somewhere on the stand and the dark web another thing that people just use that term willy-nilly and everything had to solve something to do with the dark web for a while what do you think will be the next buzzword like that are you seeing anything emerging that feels like it's going to be the new AI dark web next gen GDPR type buzzword can I mean, you think of anything? Uh, yeah, so single pane of glass is one that I'm kind of seeing more and more um, from a tooling perspective. Uh, but I think that's actually like the, the, its heart is in the right place because there's a lot of CISOs are um, using kind of compatibility with existing tools uh, or ability to plug into existing systems as the dominant buying criteria. Uh, so, you know, if you if you don't meet, if it, if it doesn't play nicely with what I've got, then I don't care what it does, I'm not going to buy it. So, you know, ha having single pane of glass like front and centre is kind of a gateway in many cases to a CISO and even entertaining the possibility of a conversation. What about you, Matt? Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Um, I, I think just continued use of blockchain uh, again, you know, I think there are there are some positive, useful applications of blockchain, and uh, but broadly, the it's still uh, it's still being misused or just used as a word because I think people presume people think it's um, it's sort of sexy and it's complicated. So you know, you don't need to ask too many questions about this. Just trust us that this this uses blockchain and everything's fine. Move on, sort of thing. Um, so still seeing an awful lot of that. And is there anybody that you read regularly yourself or or who you get maybe a little bit in in marketing and, and particularly on the creative side? You know, there, there are some people who are like, oh, I wish I'd done that. And you get this real sense of, of jealousy sometimes. <laughs> like, wish I'd come up with that. I mean, is there, is there anybody that you feel really sets the standard or perhaps you've seen something lately where you were just like, oh, I wish I'd done that first? Um Matt, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Obviously, there, there must yeah. be loads on your radar. So, well, there are and there aren't actually. And, you know, I'm happy to admit this on my side that when I first came into the research role four years ago, I was very sort of paranoid about, are we doing the right thing? What are our competitors doing? And I spent a lot of time looking at that. And that was valuable. But I think after a couple of years, I felt that, I didn't need to be doing that. I felt that we were doing the right thing for us and the business and it was working. And I, I stopped um, 
not outright, but pretty much following too much about what competitors were doing. And that's not to say that they weren't doing great stuff, but it's more that I wanted to just concentrate internally and look at what can we be doing? You know, what what do we think we should be doing to um, whether it's reinvent the wheel or do something interesting? And that that was then a bit of a catalyst to how we started to set ourselves research themes. And a lot of our outputs then usually have a nice narrative around why we've done them. They're not so much point in time. Here's a blog post about something cool. There's there's some other higher purpose around what we did and why we released it and why we talked about it in a certain way. So I know that's not a great answer to your to your question. And it certainly it's my, my position is no reflection or uh, opinion on me thinking that there aren't great people doing great things out there. It's just for me, I, I just sort of I stopped looking at it. Um, just to sort of focus more more inwardly. What about you, Peter? Uh, so re research that uh, I read and think, wow, that was great, or, you know, I wish I'd thought of that. Um, I mean, I read quite a lot uh, from the industry and I think recent examples that jump out um, actually the uh, the Bellingcat expose of uh, the Russian APT 28 uh, attack on uh, the German Reichstag and Angela Merkel. Uh, that was a really well put together uh, piece of uh, OSINT that so was pieced together and laid out, you know, really accessible, uh, left the reader in no doubt um, that Putin had a go at Germany. Um, you know, and, and, you know, other pieces in that vein are always, you know, fascinating. They tick, you know, a lot of boxes from a, a usability perspective when it comes to research. You know, this is the kind of thing that you can uh take to you know the ceo cfo it's, it's a great story they buy into it they'll understand that there's people there's humans behind the threat um and you know it's not too technical but on you know on the same note um from a, a technical perspective it helps us to understand who might be targeting us and why and therefore we can apply the right kind of um you know the right kind of uh kind of defensive techniques against what we think might might be incoming uh, so you know that kind of that kind of piece is useful across the the kind of the business and security spectrum. So, actually, really interesting what you've both said there because I think it reflects the fact there's such a breadth of research available, um, and that it it can be a bit overwhelming, and um, particularly when you have your own goals or your own narrative to tell you can get maybe a bit lost in a sea of research and I'm sure there must be lots of people who come into the industry and don't really know where to start I mean is there anything that you would recommend as a really great set of resources or perhaps a particular area to focus on trying to get your head around if this is all quite new to you um, just to get an understanding of the themes obviously NCC Matt but other than that, or, or even actually just areas within what you publish that you think would be particularly useful for somebody. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, thanks for the plug, NCC Group. Of course, I am naturally biased, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, th I think what something that comes to mind is uh, is is Twitter actually. In that, I find Twitter is is a quick way to find communities. And communities are pretty good on Twitter in sort of self-regulating themselves unofficially. And you will you will quite quickly find um, who the, the security researchers are, who the companies are, 
within those communities, you'll get the opinions, you'll get you get a gauge just from like the number of retweets and likes that certain individuals or organizations get is is sort of an indirect mark of respect about um, the research and the messaging because because particularly on Twitter, people are usually quite quick to state any negative opinions about sort of your outputs and the quality of your outputs. Uh, and so I, I do find that quite useful to sort of get a quick glimpse of what's going on and who is talking about what. Um, so that, that would be a recommendation from my side. Similarly on LinkedIn as well, you of course would get a, a more of a business oriented feel um, there. Twitter probably more for the individual researchers, um, uh, LinkedIn for more of the, at the organizational level. Um, yeah. Peter, you've had quite a lot of experience training people who are fresh to the industry on a commercial on the commercial side. I'm sure you've got a lot of recommendations for places to start. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of really good content from some of the major security players. So I actually really like the the Sophos Naked Security blog. I find that really accessible. Uh, the way the articles are, are published is at, at a level that a commercial person uh, can understand and, and communicate. Um, so that, that's a good starting point. Some of the others, so uh, you know, your, your carbon blacks and your crowd strikes tend to be more technical, although each has a commercial stream as well. Um, but then, you know, the, the usual kind of um, kind of the hacker news, Krebs, um, other uh, you know, other kind of security uh news sites um bank info security um you know the, the, there's a lot and everyone's got their favorites list but um you know what what i always recommend is to pick something that you're actually really interested in and really passionate about you know because security is a really broad church and within that it doesn't matter really kind of what it is you do or what or what it is you're involved with commercially like if you want to research something like pick something you really enjoy because you know you'll quickly find that there's other people doing the same kind of thing as you you can talk to them about it you can you can start to kind of create a network around uh, around that theme um and you know if, if it is if it's research that you enjoy doing you're actually more likely to kind of to do it well as well and that and that, and that counts for you know commercial people as much as it does technical so that, that would be my advice and that's the end of part one uh, part two, as I said, we're going to focus on the role of research-led marketing in the wider buying cycle and how you prioritize where you should focus, especially if you don't have a massive budget. In the meantime, you can follow Creative Covenant on all of the socials, including Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, and please subscribe to this podcast series if you want to hear more. Um, also, if you're listening and you'd like to be on our podcast, then please get in touch uh, with me. My name is Gail, G-A-Y-L-E, and my uh, email address is gail at creativecovenant.co.uk.